In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study from Psalm 22, starting from verse 17. He said, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. As we said, this psalm is a prophetic psalm about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, our Lord Jesus Christ, despite his great suffering on the cross, suffered no broken bones. And this has actually a beautiful meaning. And Saint John carefully noted this in his Gospel, chapter 19, that none of his bones were broken. This fact actually fulfilled the prophecy in Psalm 22, also fulfilled the prophecy in Psalm 34, verse 20, and also, as you study the pattern of Passover lamb, as described in Exodus 12 and number, uh, num- book of Numbers, chapter 9, that the bones of the Passover lamb should not be broken. Uh, how he said, I can count all my bones. As you know, the flesh and skin of our Lord Jesus Christ were expanded because of the posture of the body on the cross, was hanging on the cross. That may have made the bones visible and easy to be numbered. Then the second half of verse 17, they look and stare at me. Jesus found no place to hide from the unwanted stares of the cruel mocking men at the cross. People, instead of being ashamed of what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, they looked at him and stared at him. So the sight of the agonizing body ought to have actually ensured sympathy from the multitude, but unfortunately it only increased their harsh mocking. And according to scholar origin, those bones that he was able to count symbolically refer to the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, in a broader term, refers to the congregation of the believers who were scattered in weakness at the moments of crucifixion, but they were not broken. And with the resurrection, they gathered together again as one body of which not a single bone was broken. So the meaning here, according to many early church fathers, that the true believers are the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if they become weak in the moments of tribulation and martyrdom, yet the grace of God would support them, and not one of them would be broken. That is the meaning why not one bone was broken. Verse 18, They divide my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots so the garments of the executed were the rights of the executioners in most cases but it was not often that they cast lots to divide them but this verse actually describe exactly what happened during the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ as we read it in John chapter 19 verse 23 and 24 which show how clearly David the psalmist was able to see the day of Christ and how surely Jesus is he of whom the prophets spoke then this man named Jesus is indeed the incarnated Son of God, the Messiah. And there were four soldiers involved in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they divided his garments into four parts, and everyone took uh, his part. But as for the seamless coat, Uh, which was woven from the top to the bottom, they actually didn't want to tear it. Therefore, not willing to rent it, they cast lots upon it who should have it. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, don't be far from me, O my strength, hasten to help me so here the Lord Jesus Christ in his request is not focused on the change of his situation he did not say change my situation but he said oh Lord don't be far from me so the focus here on the presence of God he actually looks away from many tormentors and fix his eyes upon God hasten to help me come to support me come to deliver me from these dreadful sorrows not necessarily to be rescued from death because I know I have come to this hour and for this hour I have come but deliver me from the deep mental sorrows that had had come upon me. He knew that God is his strength. That's why he said, Oh, my strength, hasten to me. His help was alone in God, his strength. There were none that could help him but God. And he seemed to stand, God seemed to stand afar off from helping him as in verse 1 my God my God why have you forsaken me and his situation being so distressed as is represented in the preceding verses it required hurry that's why he told him hasten to me hasten to help me all my strength hasten to help me St. Augustine says that by the word sword in verse 20 deliver me from the sword my precious life 
from the power of the dog. So, San Augustine said the sword here meant the tongue of dissensions, as we read in the book of Proverbs, that many uh, bad words can be sharper than a sword. Other commentators said the sword symbolizes the authority of the Roman governor. As St. Paul in Romans chapter 13, he said about the governor does not bear the sword in vain. Sword represent here the authority. That authority by which our Lord Jesus Christ was actually put to death. Or the sword also may symbolize the instrument of death and here the cross, the nails, the spear, the crown of thorns. Or the sword also can refer to the wrath of God on sin. If Jesus prayed even on the cross to be delivered from it, from the sword, the prayer must have been offered with the reservations previously made in Gethsemane, meaning when he said, deliver me from the sword, we need to take into consideration other prayers that he made in the garden on Thursday night. He said, if it is possible, if it is your will, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he said, my life, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Dog may refer to Satan, or the whole company of Christ's enemy, who though many in number, but were as united as if one dog actually hunting a deer, and with one consent sought to kill him. Verse 21, Save me from the lion's mouth, and from the horns of the wild oxen, you have answered me. You have answered me. So have experienced deliverance in past from many and great enemies, like in the temptation on the mountain. And these enemies were strong like wild oxen. So the redeemers utter his last cry for rescue from death, which death which is fierce and mighty as lion. So lion here may represent death. Save me from the lion's mouth. So his enemies represented as fierce and hungry, vicious lions. Or lion can represent Satan, as Saint Peter described him, our enemy is like a roaring lion. So St. Augustine says, Save me from the mouth of the kingdom of this world and from loftiness of the proud, exalting themselves to special preeminence and enduring no particulars. They want to be alone, no particulars. Save my humility. Then he said, you have answered me. So this prayer, his prayers was heard and the darkness of the cross left. As St. Paul said in Hebrews, 
and his prayers were heard because of his godliness. So after pouring out his soul in agony, now he has a glorious sense that God has answered him. The instant answer of God to the Lord Jesus Christ means he felt no longer forsaken. And maybe the deliverance from the crisis itself did not happen yet. But it is the feeling of deliverance from being forsaken by God even if the crisis continues. So there is immense relief, joy, peace in the words you have answered me. And as I told you from verse 1 to 21 about the suffering of Christ. Now from verse 21 to the end of the psalm, it is the glorified Christ praising and giving thanks to the Father. So from verse 21, now you will find the tone of the psalm is totally different. He said in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. After he said, you have answered me, the tone of the psalm started to change. So the delights of Jesus are always with his church. So this victory on the cross, it's for our sake. And we were victorious in him on the cross. That's why he said, Jesus said, I will declare your name to my brethren. And he calls us his brethren. In the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the church, I will praise you. So, he is not ashamed, as St. Peter, as St. Paul said in Hebrews, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Among his first resurrection words, he said to Mary Magdalene, go to my brethren. Jesus is God-man. So he said, uh, before I did not ascend to Mary Magdalene, I did not ascend to my God who is your God, and to my father who is your father. How can we understand this? Now we are his brethren. So, he is God. So, God the Father is his father. That's why God the Father now became our father. But we are his brethren. And we call God the Father our God. That's why God the Father to Jesus also is his God. That's why he said, my God, who is your God, and my Father, who is your Father. How Jesus called the Father both his God and his Father. His Father, because by nature he is the Son of God. And he called him his God because we are in him. He is God, man. St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 puts these words directly into the mouth of Christ. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. And actually, Hebrews 2.12 quotes the second half of Psalm 22, specifically verse 22. 
proving clearly that the entire psalm points to Jesus, not just the agony of the first half, but the whole psalm is about Jesus Christ. The whole psalm, not only the first half until verse 21. In the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the church, I will praise you. Jesus reveals his purpose in declaring the divine name. It is that God may be praised. You know, we read in John chapter 1, no one has seen the Father. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has revealed him to us. Also, we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. Now he is speaking to us through his Son. That's why he said, I will declare your name to my brethren. Jesus came to declare the name of God the Father to us. To clear the name means to bring us to the knowledge of God the Father. And in the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the church, I will praise you. So the purpose of declaring the name, that God may be praised, God may be glorified. St. Augustine says, I will declare thy name to the humble and to my brethren that love one another as they have been beloved by me. With joy I will declare your glory in the midst of my church. The church, the assembly, is a congregation of love. Her members are the brethren of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 23 he said, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. So there are three callings here. The first one, those who fear the Lord. Second one, descendants of Jacob. Third one, offspring of Israel. So the congregation or the church of Christ is a congregation of love, but also it is a congregation of those who fear the Lord. Oh, you who fear the Lord. So the praise of God is to be joined with fear of God according to the teaching of the scripture. Fear of God means reverence, respect, not being terrified or tremble. So here the Savior is addressing the congregation of the saints, you who fear the Lord. He urges the faithful to unite together with him in thanksgiving. In verse 22, he said, In the midst of the church, I will praise you. Then I'm not going to praise alone. You are my body. You are my brethren. That's why in verse 23, O you who fear the Lord, praise the Lord. The description of fearing the Lord is very frequent in the scripture and also very defying. As we read in the book of Proverbs, fear the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. But who are the descendants of Jacob? So, uh, here he is addressing the Jewish people to whom the gospel was first to be preached. As the Lord said, 
uh, after his resurrection and you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So the gospel was preached first to the Jewish people. But also it may mean all the spiritual seed of Jacob and those who are true worshippers of God. As the Lord said, if you are the children of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. But who are the offspring of Israel? The third calling. St. Augustine comments on all you offspring of Israel and says, let all who have been born to a new life and restored to the vision of God fear him. So offspring of Israel, we are the new Israel. We are the new people of God. We are the new family of God. So here he spoke, you who fear the Lord, all the believers, descendants of Jacob, those who are uh, Christian from Jewish background, and this offspring of Israel, the new Israel, which is the Christian. Verse 24. For he, God the Father, has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. So he is responding to verse 1. God, God, why have you forsaken me? So in verse 24, no, the father did not actually forsake the son. He he has not hidden his face from him. But when he cried, when the son cried to the father, the father heard. So God has used and would use the affliction of the Lord Jesus Christ to great purpose. Here, the sufferer, Jesus Christ, is saying that God had heard his prayer. And this was a reason why others also should trust in the Lord and feel assured that God would likewise hear our prayers. So, even if sometimes we feel forsaken, we feel abandoned, but no, this feeling is not the true feeling or a truth about God. Because God has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Yes, the father might seem to be to disregard his son's affliction, but it was not really so, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has hidden his face from him. And we can see there is a great reward for the affliction of Christ as we read in Philippians chapter 2 from verse 8 to 11 about Jesus Christ and being found in appearance as a man. He, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God the Father also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth 
and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we can actually find this uh, how the Lord heard him, the Father heard the Son and exalted him. So the response to such wonderful deliverance was actually public praise as we read in verse 25. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. So, in acknowledging such wonderful deliverance, there was public praise and keeping vows and promises. My praise shall be of you. So here, Jesus owed his deliverance entirely to God. He will show to the tokens of his gratitude to God, the Fa- to God the Father in a public manner. Why? In, or- in order to edify others. And I will fill my promises, my vows, before those who fear God and are his loyal followers. St. Augustine's interpretation of this verse, what are the vows here? And what is the public praise? St. Augustine said, I will offer the sacrament of my body and my blood in the sight of them that fear him. So when he said, uh, I will pay my vows, meaning I will offer my body and my blood in the church, in the assembly, before those who fear him. And this actually goes flick, uh, fluently with verse 26. The poor shall eat. Eat of what? Of my body and my blood. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. So, the poor here means the poor in the spirit. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for they shall uh, inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those who are spiritually poor find a feast in Jesus. They feed upon him to the satisfaction of their hearts. The poor shall eat and be satisfied, especially in the Eucharist, where Christ offers his body and his blood. And the result, as we read, let your heart live forever. Let your heart live forever. So there is two results from the Eucharist. Praising those who seek him will praise the Lord. And that's why during communion, we say praise God in all his sins. And also living forever. Uh, The result shall be life forevermore. For the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, when worthily received, preserve men's bodies and souls to everlasting life. As Abuna says in the confession, given for us for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life to those who partake of him. Verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. 
and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. So we can see here the faithfulness of God the Father to the Son who seemed as forsaken. But this actually faithfulness, and when the Father heard the Son, it becomes the base for bringing all the ends of the world to the Lord. All the ends of the world to the Lord. So not only it is true that the Lord has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, but also God the Father used the affliction of Jesus Christ to reach all the ends of the earth for the knowledge of God, for repentance unto Him, for worship Him. As we read, all the families of the nations shall worship before you. And in very few years after the resurrection of Christ, the good news of salvation actually is spread to the whole world. And by fourth century, actually the whole world were uh, Christian uh, after the edict by August um, Constantine. So we can see here all the ends of the earth, literally all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before him shall turn to the Lord because they will be ashamed of their idols and they will be mindful of the true God, repentant of their sins and firmly are sincere to be reconciled with God. And this verse is a prophecy of the calling of the Gentiles to the knowledge of Christ, all the ends of the world. and the gospel will reach all the ends of the earth. And a clear proof that this psalm immediately speaks of Christ, to whom alone this passage belongs. So this psalm, not about David, but it's a prophecy in all uh, 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 wholeness. It's prophecy about Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, It says about Jesus, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And Psalm 22 powerfully displays that joy. There is praise in the whole earth. There is joy in the obedience of Christ to and glorifying his God and Father. And also joy of saving and loving those who trust in him. And he made us his brethren that he declared to us the name of God the Father. Because God is not only the God and the Lord of Jews, but also of the Gentiles of all nations, as he says in verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations, not the nation of Israel but rule over the nations, all the nations. For kingdom is the Lord, he is the king of kings, and rules over the nations. Verse 29, All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, 
All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. So, lest anyone understand only the poor will eat. But Christ came to everyone, so even the prosperous of the earth shall eat of the Eucharist and worship God. All those who go down to dust, all all of us who are mortal, shall bow before him, shall worship him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. And this applies to all of us, because who among us can keep himself alive? So, in verse 26, the psalmist said, The meek, the poor, the lowly, should eat and be satisfied. And here, he says, it is for everyone, all the prosperous of the earth, the rich, the great, the nobles, the princes, the kings, should be called in to partake of the feast of Eucharist. They will eat and worship. It shows what kind of eating the psalmist spoke of. It's not just regular meal. Eat and worship spiritual eating, feeding upon the bread of life, partaking of Christ, the Eucharist. All human race, for none can escape death who can keep his life? As he said, even he who cannot keep himself alive. So he's speaking here about all human race, because none can escape death, shall bow before Christ, either willingly as his worshippers and the believers, or unwillingly as his conquered enemies in the last day. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So either willingly or unwillingly. Willingly for the worshippers, unwillingly for his enemies when they will be conquered. Some interpret all those who go down to the dust. So if the first part speak about the prosperous, second part speak about the poor, not poor in spirit, but those who actually poor, like going down to the dust. So some interpret this verse as the group of those who are crushed, broken, oppressed. So salvation also is for everyone for the prosperous and for the broken, the crushed, the oppressed. Uh, So we can say that the salvation available to the rich and great, to the poor, the sad, the sorrow. Even he who cannot keep himself alive, that is the greatest as well as the meanest, must acknowledge that their salvation proceeds from God alone, because no one can escape death. These are the last two verses in Psalm 22. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people 
who will be to who will be born in the future that he has done this that God has finished our salvation so the faithfulness of God unto the formerly forsaken one Christ will be told throughout all generations and bringing great glory to the Lord now are 2000 years after Christ but we still glorify God for the suffering and resurrection of Christ the church is founded in Iraq and will continue from generation to generation as the Lord promised the gates of hates shall not prevail against it the kingdom of the truth on earth shall never fail the kingdom of Christ so as one generation is passing away another will arise in its stead Christ shall always have a posterity children and heirs to serve him in every age they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born in the future his righteousness shall be announced to younger generation posterity shall serve him it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this so one generation after another shall come and shall narrate God's righteousness as shown forth in Christ each to his successor to a people yet to be born telling them that God has done this what does mean God has done this done this salvation do you remember before the Lord died on the cross he cried out it is finished I have done the salvation so it is finished is quotation from the last verse of Psalm 22 that he has done this so Psalm 22 began with the cry of my God my God why have have you forsaken me and ends with the word it's finished the salvation is finished salvation glorious work is done and there is peace on earth and glory in the highest you know when the Jesus Christ was born this was the same glory to God in the highest peace on earth goodwill toward men through the salvation that the Lord performed God was glorified in highest and there was peace on earth this is his goodwill toward men this actually conclude uh, Psalm 22 Uh, glory be to God forever and ever Amen